0: these first 19 verses and then we'll pray that the Lord will teach us <clears throat> pursue love yet desire earnestly spiritual gifts but especially that you may prophesy for the one who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men but to God for no one understands but in his spirit he speaks mysteries But one who prophesies speaks to men for edification and exhortation and consolation. One who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but one who prophesies edifies the church. Now I wish that you all spoke in tongues, but even more that you would prophesy. And greater is one who prophesies than one who speaks in tongues, unless unless he interprets so the church may receive edifying. But now, brethren, if I come to you speaking in tongues, what will I profit you unless I speak to you either by way of revelation or of knowledge or of prophecy or of teaching? Yet even lifeless things... Either the flute or the harp is producing a sound. If they do not produce a distinction in the tones, how will it be known what is played on the flute or on the harp? For if the bugle produces a distinct sound, who will prepare himself for battle? So also you, unless you utter by the tongue speech that is clear, how will it be known what is spoken? For you will be speaking into air. There are perhaps a great many kinds of languages in the world, and no kind is without meaning. If, I, if then I do not know the meaning of the language, I will be one who speaks a barbarian, and one who speaks will be a barbarian to me. So also you, since you are zealous for spiritual gifts, seek to abound for the edification of the church. Therefore, let one who speaks in a tongue pray that he may interpret. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. What is the outcome then? I will pray with the spirit and I will pray with the mind also. I will sing with the Spirit, and I will sing with the mind also. Otherwise, if you bless in the Spirit only, how will one who fills the place of the ungifted say the amen at your giving of thanks, since he does not know what you are saying? For you are giving thanks well enough, but the other person is not edified. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. However, in the church, I desire to speak five words with my mind so that I may instruct others also rather than 10,000 words in a tongue. Father, help us to hear what your word says. Lord, uh, you've already instructed us that we are not to be ignorant of spiritual gifts. And Father, you even tell us to seek them. Yet, Father, we've already seen that you give them as you desire. And Father, I pray that we who draw to you, we who are called by your name, we who are the collection of the called out ones. Well, Father, we'll bow before your word, and that you will give us understanding. You will open our eyes that we may see, open our ears that we may hear. And Father, may we take this precious treasure. Father, use it for the glory of the church, to the glory of he who saved her. In Christ's name, amen. Chapter 14 is basically dealing with tongues. I mean, that, in essence, that is the, the total text is, 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 is tongues. But he's but dealing with a church that had an ego problem. He's dealing with a church that people wanted to be in the spotlight. They wanted to be up front. They wanted things to bring attention to themselves. So the they were seeking spiritual gifts that would draw attention. I wanted a speaking gift. Um, I basically cut gifts into two categories, speaking gifts and serving gifts. Uh, some are what I would call up front. The others are the behind the scene gifts. And one of the gifts that we have seen and we've been looking at uh, for some time, actually, is this gift of languages, tongues. It's languages. Please understand that it's languages. There was a movement in the society of the Corinthian church that were the, what is called pagan ecstasies. And ecstasy literally meant that you would have an out-of-body experience. You'd leave your body. You would go into the heavens. You would commune with a God a God, and in the process of communing with that God, you would learn to speak that God's private little language. Well, what had happened, and we've already looked at in this letter to the Corinthians, is that everything that was in the world had infiltrated the church. And they were just trying to blend this all together. And so the Apostle Paul is going through chapter 14 and he's saying, I'm going to show you this gift of tongues that you claim you have, and show you that you've missed it Because the gifts are for the edification of the church and the gift of tongues, the gift of languages is a secondary gift because it doesn't help the church. The gift of tongues was never given by God. For the edification of the saints, the gift of interpretations of the tongues was given by God for the edification of the saints. All right. And here's what I mean. You have to go back a few years. Okay. Genesis 11. That would be back a few years. All right. God saw the arrogance and pride of man and he confused their speech. The birth of languages was given. So it was literally God's judgment was given. I will stifle your arrogance by making it so you can't communicate to one another. Wow. So when you see the birth of the church, you had this ability, and we've already looked at this, this ability to speak in a language to a person who could hear the gospel of Jesus Christ in their own language. It would be similar to if I went to Russia today and just started preaching my brains out, and there's nobody around to interpret for me, what are they going to get out of it? The same thing that if you bring a Russian pastor over here and he starts preaching, what are you and I going to get out of it? Nothing. Not a thing. So what Paul is doing in this text is showing us the importance of the gift of tongues. That it is a secondary importance instead of something that we want to try to pursue. You can look at chapter 14, and I'll go back through this again, and I want to keep kind of giving this over and over again, but the importance of tongues is listed out in chapter 14, verses 1 through 19. The intent of the gift of tongues is given to us in chapter, chapter 14, verses 20 through 25, and the instruction on how it is to be used is given to us in chapter 14, verses 26 through 40. Okay, that's your outlines over the next coming year. What? Okay, so, but we understand here that the importance of the gift of tongues is that it's secondary. And the reason is, verses 1 through 5, is that it's not for the whole, meaning the congregation. Okay, why? Verses 6 through 12, it can't be understood. You can be the best teacher in the world, have the greatest theology that ever existed. And if a person doesn't know your language, you're useless to him or her. And then it is emotional in verses 13 through 19. And I'll deal with that when we get to it. But I want to focus on one through five. You could literally take chapter 13, put a parentheses around it and say, and you come out of 12 and you say, I will show you a more excellent way. And then chapter 14, verse one says, pursue love. That's the more excellent way. The thing that you as a Christian, as a congregation of people should be earnestly about is what? Pursuing love. But Paul has already seen that this was a self-centered group of people. So he gives you chapter 13 to say, let me, I'm not going to define love. I am going to describe love. And that's chapter 13. Alright? And if you look at chapter 13, it's really easy. If you were to look in a, a dictionary and see chapter 13, all you're gonna do is see a picture of Jesus. Okay? That's what it is. You see the life of Christ in chapter 13. Everything's encompassed. And therefore, in chapter 14 he says, What should you do? Or Jesus. You can't separate the two. Can't separate the two. And and I believe that what you see today, you don't understand something about Castrock. Many of you uh, are, are not involved with the quote unquote church here in Casserock. The church in Casserock is one of the most charismatic, experiential based groups of people anywhere that I've ever seen. Okay, now listen. I had some people who my grandma used to live in the hill country of Kentucky, and that's where you had the snake handlers and stuff like that. And if you don't know about them, you're blessed. Okay? But they were excitable, to say the least. All right? Well, they were. You guys keep the, all right? When you have a worship service and see people jumping out the windows, you're sitting there going, (laughs) and, you know, I I thought there was a fire, but then they'd run back in the front door, and you're like, well, there you have it. Okay? But, and I, you know, uh, I remember as a kid sitting at my grandma's front ports watching this, thinking, hmm, that's not exactly what I was thinking. But at that time, you just sit there and go, huh, excitable bunch of people, aren't they? All right. What I see here in Castle Rock is that on steroids. And I, I am saying that as lovingly as I can. But I see people today who believe that the quote unquote church comes together for some kind of liver quiver. You know, make the hair stand up on my neck or let me feel something. And there's a number of reasons for it. The primary, I believe, is because of the deadness that existed for so many years in the church. And because of that deadness, we see years and years of ignorance on what is the true work of the Holy Spirit. You put those two together, a lack of Bible teaching from the pulpit. The, the pulpit advocated its responsibility in quote-unquote Sunday school. Okay, I don't know who Paul's Sunday school teachers were. All right? but they have gotten out of quote unquote theology doctrine and we've got little books and manuals and things that we're supposed to do in Sunday school and what happened is is that the body and I'm talking about now you got to understand something about the church in Corinth this is not a cult this is a true church and yet paganism had taken over and you sit there and go well how can they well There is a desire to, quote unquote, feel God, experience God. Let me tell you something. You walk around seeking an experience, you will find an experience. I guarantee it. I don't care who you are, you can be lost, you can be saved. If you are wanting to experience something, you can, if that desire is there, I guarantee you, you will experience something. The question is this, is it true or is it counterfeit? I can go throughout all of scripture and show you that every time God does something, there was a counterfeit sitting right beside it. Listen, any of us here heard of Balaam? He prophesied Messiah, that Messiah would come, a Redeemer. But Balaam, the one thing that we remember the most about Balaam was that truth-speaking donkey. And yet Balaam was, he prophesied Messiah. Okay? Okay. So we have to be careful. And I think that what I see today in the church in America today, I, I kind of hang them in two categories. Okay. One is what I call the liturgical church. Okay. That's the And it's solid doctrine uh, that you're going to get it over. And here it is. And we're going to exegete and we're going to homiletic and we're going to, we're just going to make you just feel wonderful. But, the other side is what I call the experiential church. And they are all Holy Spirit focused. Here's the easy thing about the Holy Spirit. Okay. Doctrinal truth. The Holy Spirit has two purposes. One, if you're lost, he convicts you of sin. Okay. Two, his second purpose <clears throat> points to Christ among the believers. He never brings attention to himself. And yet, in the experiential church today, what do we see? The Holy Spirit does this, the Holy Spirit does this, the Holy Spirit does this. And then you have the liturgical churches over here, and they've got the Bible, and they have the little prayer book, and we got this, and we have a covenant, this, and we don't do this, and we don't do that. And you know, sometimes they'll wear a robe uh and 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 all it's funny because I asked a guy, a friend of mine who's a Presbyterian, I said, Why do you wear that robe? He says, Well, we wear the robe and and it is so that the congregation, when they look at the robe, they see they don't see the man, they'll just hear the word. And I said, well, that'd be great if everybody in the building was wearing a robe. But I mean, we got one guy wearing a robe. What are we looking at? One guy wearing a robe. So I'm thinking that don't work no more. All right. But we get into this and and, 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 and into these sacraments and these uh, things that we keep doing traditions over and over and, and it becomes dead. It becomes dead. I remember going to a friend of mine's church when I was a kid, and, and they always stood up. I could tell you what church was. I never heard a message. You got, you got in the, you got there the first thing in the morning, everybody stood up and re- repeated what they called the Lord's Prayer. Which is really not the Lord's Prayer. The Lord's Prayer is John 17. But they say, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come. And then you stand up, you sing about three songs, this guy get up there and bore you to tears, and then stand up and say, The Lord's Prayer, Our Father who art in heaven, and, and you're out of there. And I went three times and says, I know church. Why well, you guys do that all the time. The church, the church has an ego problem. Okay, collectively. Um the church wants to feel more oriented to emotion and it starts moving to the me. Criteria. What is it for me? What is church for me? What does this church have for me? You know, our church has a, a, a divorce recovery classes. We have uh, Al Anon and whatever. Uh, we have, uh, I mean, a, a singles class. I mean, that's Christian dating, isn't it? Um, but and I and I watch all of these things and I say, where does this come from? Who thought this up? When Peter was, or when Paul was planting churches in the Gentile communities, did he go and ask him, "What do we do for youth? What do we do for yuppies and ex-jenners and what I don't know? We got a name for everything." No, he did the same thing. A dear friend of mine who is in heaven right now preached for 70, oh, 60, was it 63 years? He preached on every continent except Antarctica. And he never changed his message. It was always the gospel. It didn't matter if it was an African tribe. It didn't matter if it was Chinese. It didn't matter if it was Russian. It didn't matter if it was European. It didn't matter if it was Oriental. He didn't care. He always preached the same messages. Why? It's just the same book. And it doesn't matter your age. Uh, it doesn't matter your social status. And yet, what have we done? And now you see this birthing of what I call the emotional church. I mean, there's people who tell me the reason we don't grow numerically is that we have Baptists in our name. You need to change your church name to something that doesn't make you out to be Baptist. What? Are you telling me the gates of hell can't stop it? But you put Baptist in your name. You ain't growing. Do do you see how... I got to be careful, don't I? (laughs) Almost said it. In the culture of the Corinthians... This pagan ecstasies, pagan religions, pagan mystery religions that were birthed basically out of Babylon is all over the place. There's a book written that was written between 429 and 347 BC called the dialogue it was written by a guy named Plato. And he has page after page after page after page of this ecstatic languages. This place where people would check out of their body, go into the heavens, commune with a God, and chit-chat in that God's language. And it became this spiritual thing. And Plato called the Greek religions, which is where Corinth was. Plato called them mystery eros. Okay, A religion based on emotion and a religion based on our senses, our sensuality and all that that would encompass. Um, Socrates loved Corinth because he would go there for vacation and he says, I love it. And this was his quote. You will have bare-breasted women running around climbing poles and spearing pigs. What a town. And God sticks right in the middle of that, a church. A church. Surrounded by counterfeits. And we wonder why there was confusion in the church in Corinth. It's fascinating in here, this is the only epistle written that deals with the issue of gift of tongues. Nobody else had any problems with it. Why? Because they weren't silly enough to draw upon a pagan culture and think that I can be more spiritual if I act like what? I mean, we already looked at it. Chapter 7, he dealt with meat offered to idols. And the issue there wasn't that you could get a demon if you ate a meat offered to an idol. The issue there was don't cause the weaker to stumble. The church is not about you. The church is for the edification of the saints. You have a gift, and he started this in chapter 12. You have a gift, and it is for us. There was confusion and counterfeits. People were having visions and prophecies, ecstatic speech, and they had basically accepted it all. And verses one through five, he says, let me show you the reason that the gift of tongues is less than the gift of prophecy. Okay. Prophecy edifies the whole. Did you know that you can take one gift and it will profit, it will edify, it will strengthen the whole body. You see, edification, how important is it? It's in verse 4, verse 5, verse 12, verse 14, verse 26, and verse 31. And the church is there for what? The edification. Why do I come to church? For edification. For edification. And when you prophesy, It edifies the whole of the congregation, earnestly desire spiritual gifts, but especially that you prophesy. One who speaks in a tongue, verse 2 says, does not speak to men, but to a God, and no one understands. That's That's his basic argument right there. The gift of tongues is secondary because it has no purpose in the body of Christ. None. I didn't write it. Paul wrote it. See, I'm going to follow after love. If you're going to seek something, put some energy into something, you're going to seek after love. All right? But you will receive spiritual gifts. And if you're looking for spiritual gifts, look at your gift as, how can I take this gift, whatever your gift is, how can I use my spiritual gift to strengthen the saint's that God has placed me among. Okay, now listen. I want to give you, he says in verse 1, that you may prophesy. Listen, that is not future telling. Please understand it. It's pro-themi. All right? Before speak. That's what it means. Speak before is the gift of prophecy. It wasn't until the 1300s that telling the future was added to the definition in the English language. In the Greek text, it never had anything to do with telling of the future. And I, I see people say, well, you know, a prophet speak of what? You go through the Old Testament prophets. You know, Daniel, he was talking about the end times. He was telling what revelation God was giving him. And sometimes it included the end times. Okay. I, you know, if somebody, I have the gift of prophecy. All right. And if you want me to tell the future, then I'll teach the book of revelations. All right. I don't got no problem. Okay. And But what I'm doing right now is what? Speaking before. All right? And what you see in the church in Corinth and what I see in a lot of the church today uh, is, is there's confusion. And there's not supposed to be. Chapter 12, verse 1 says, I do not want you to be unaware of spiritual gifts. And yet, if you look at the church today, is the church, yeah, confused. That would be an understatement when it comes to spiritual gifts. And even to the point, uh, the liturgical side, um, the very doctrinally strong side, um, they don't even talk about the Holy Spirit. It's almost like they're afraid of him. the uh, Holy Spirit. Uh, you mentioned it. You know, I got into trouble. I was accused of being a charismatic. Okay? And the reason that I got accused of it is I used this word. Are you ready? Sit down and be careful. Anointed. As soon as you said that, uh, dude's in his little prayer closet, prayer language and dealing healings and all kind of weird stuff. No. Jesus said, I have been anointed by the Holy Spirit to preach the good news. And I got news for you. I have listened to a man who preached under the anointing. and I've listened to a man who preached without the anointing. Okay. And there is a difference. There is a huge difference. One literally pierces to your soul. The other one is, when are we going home? Okay? The gifts are for the edification of the church. When a church comes together, the primary thing, now get this, if you don't get anything, primary thing, if you're a Christian, the primary thing for church is that you should come to hear the word of God spoken. If you come for any other reason, you've missed it. You've missed it. There's only one reason that we come together as a body of people. It ain't got nothing to do with the what was that thing? The massive mighty munching something or other? <laughs> Potluck. Okay, it ain't got nothing to do with that. It ain't got nothing to do with you got something for old people or young people or single people or double people. Double people. <laughs> what is double people? Uh, but but I got people come to me and say, Well, I need biblical counseling. Well, come to church. I'll give you biblical counseling every time I stand behind a pulpit. So it is to edify, and if you want a spot-on church, I was thinking about Roy Bedford, when you want a spot-on church, you want one that will speak forth the word of God. You know something here's amazing about the church? We read... A psalm, and then coming, we're cruising through the New Testament. You don't realize that when we read that, that's the only thing we're doing perfect. That's it. You read the Word of God, and then you start messing with it when you start thinking you're going to explain it. But the truth of the matter is, the only thing that you can, as a church, do perfect is just read the Word of God. Paul says here, most of all, for your edification. More than tongues. Prophecy. There's an obvious reason. I mean, it's very obvious. Uh, No one understands. Middle of verse 2. Middle of verse 2. Nobody can understand what is being said unless you interpret it. If you don't interpret it, then what was it? I mean, I got some Russian phrases I could give you. And you could just look at me and go... You know, I had a guy ask me that the other night. He says, do you know any Russian?" I said, I can keep myself out of jail and find a bathroom and get the train station. Okay? And praise God. That's it. That's it? Yeah. How long have you been going? I'm Not long enough to know that language. Okay? I remember just last November, I was at a meeting in in Chicago. And um, the president of the Baptist Union for Russia was there. And he gave, delivered a message preached out of John chapter 20. Phenomenal job. Absolutely phenomenal. Just made you want to jump up and rapture or something. I mean, it was excellent. But here's the key. Had Sergei not been standing next to him, Wahoo! I just said through an hour worth of Russian that I understand nothing. Okay? But it was the exposition of the gospel. It was powerful. This guy's got insight. This man is a humble man. And yet, you know what? If he hadn't had Sergey with him, we'd all been smiling. Right? Now, I want to show you something here in the text. This is New American Standard text. Verse 2, The one who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. Okay? The problem with that is the definite article ain't there. All right. Every time you see capital G in the New Testament, there's always a definite article. All right? It's speaking of Yahweh, Jehovah, Elohim, Him. Okay, there's no definite article there. So the true translation should be he speaks to a God. Okay, why? That was the religious standard that existed there. Why? You go into these temples and you wanted to commune with a God, and you would basically have an ecstasy. You would leave your body. You would go up into heaven, and you would commune with this God in his or her language. And I believe that that is what the Apostle Paul is referring to here. And yes, I love this portion of text because it is dripping with sarcasm. My wife hates it when I'm sarcastic. And I just smile and say, Paul did it. <laughs> and she says, Paul wasn't married. <laughs> and say, well, there you have it. <laughs> okay. The spiritual gifts, do you see what he just, he just knocks these people right on their keisters. He says, the one who speaks in a tongue doesn't speak to men, but to a God. No one understands. You know what he's getting at? The gifts are for what? Men. The gifts aren't for God. God doesn't need a gift. He's complete. This, I mean, I just look at this and think, logic says, hear what is going on. See, All the gifts are for men. They're not for God. They are gifts from God for men. God gives men gifts to give to men. Gifts are given to build the body of Christ. That's what they're for. I see people who try to exercise their gifts. Well, I use my gift at work. You got a bunch of saved people at work? No, ain't working. Why? It was given for the edification of the saints. That's what the whole 14th chapter is dealing with. What are you building up? What are you trying to strengthen? Paul says you've fallen on the very basics of what spiritual gifts are. Spiritual gifts, I do not want you to be ignorant. They are for men. They're not for God or a God. You are out of yourselves and you are coming to a God and you have violated principle number one is that spiritual gifts are for humans. They are not for deity. And listen, we have an overwhelming movement in the body of Christ today that teach that it's essential use of tongues is a private prayer language. And and, and and you get this language and you get to talk to God. And you know what? When I hear that, I know that they've missed this point. The gift was for me to edify other men, not God. Nobody knows what you're saying. What are you doing? Listen on this prayer language a little footnote thing for you you go through all the epistles every prayer you go through all the prayers of Jesus you go through the Old Testament all of the prayers there and you know what is amazing about every single prayer I can understand it there is no private prayer language not only that I'll give you a text, another text to deal with it. It comes out of the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 6, verse 7. Chapter 6, verse 7. This is Jesus speaking. And when you are praying, do not use meaningless repetitions as the Gentiles. That's what Jesus said. All right? And the word there, meaningless repetition, is bata leghetto. Okay, leghetto is a language. Is a language, all right? But bata is onomatopoetic. Ooh, great, okay? It's like a bee buzzes or a zip zips. That's automatic onomatopoetic, all right? And he's saying, you don't need a bata-bata language. That's what he says. Don't pray like the pagans. <coughs> Just saying bata-bata-bata-bata-bata. What was that? That's just like saying, bzz, bzz, zip, boom, bang. What was that? I was praying to God. Is in my prayer language. What were we praying? And my pants are still zipped up, and then something doesn't blow up, and that the bee doesn't sting me. Everybody knows what I was praying. I interpreted for you. Okay? Meaningless repetitions as the pagans, as the Gentiles. Listen, when Jesus was in the upper room, he got ready to pray. He was going to leave to go out. He prayed in John 17. He didn't go, butta, butta, butta. When Jesus was in the garden, Father, take this cup from me. You ever thought about that? Deity, communing with deity. In what language? In deity language. No, it was in a language that you could hear. Well, what about the language? You've already read the text It says, What about the languages of angels? When an angel communicates with a human, what language does it use? Bata, bata, bata. Zip, boop, boop, bang. And Mary would have said there and gone, Wow. Great. I need to go to the doctor. <laughs> He didn't talk in some heavenly language. Why? God is a God of communication. He communicates with us. It's deity to deity. Even then, he communicated in a way that you and I can hear it and the people who were around him could hear it because they wrote it down. Jesus prayed. I know what he said. Those who were around him knew what he said. When Paul prayed... You know what he said? Here we have the carnal Corinthians and they are like so many that I see today who have a desire to be showy, who have a desire for attention getting, who have a desire to have their ego build up. They have this emotional drawing to feel God and they want to use tongues as a badge of spirituality on some kind of spiritual plateau. Look what I can do. I have a language that only me and God knows. Do you know what you said to God? No. So you got God talking to himself. And you're in the link for what purpose? I talk to God in my own private language. I had a guy tell me one time, his heel was all messed up. He had strained his Achilles heel. And, and this guy, he was a level-headed businessman, very smart and articulate, and had screwed up his Achilles heel. And, and he said that in the morning he got up and he started singing in tongues in, his, in the shower and God healed it and he was all better. And I got to admit, he wasn't limping. But I'm thinking that the hot water of the shower might have done it. Maybe. I don't understand that. And you, you just sit and look at him and go, well, okay. Okay? And I, I, but it is... I see people... It's like when I, I deal with people... I, I've, I've talked to my wife about it. There are times when I run into people and they'll see me and, and then they find out what I do and all of a sudden... They change because they want to speak spiritually. And it's just a weird thing that I've seen a lot of people do. And then I find out what church they go to, and it tends to be an experiential church. But as soon as they find out that you're a pastor, they all of a sudden, I was having spiritual, what? You know, maybe that's my problem. What you see right here is what you get everywhere I'm at, and I don't shift into spiritual. And, and, and I see this all over the place. A dear friend of mine said that in his study of the history of the church, never has she been as haughty as she is right now. And I look at the church and I say, Absolutely. We, we, we publish books. We want big ministries. We want big buildings. We have, we got this. We got all of this stuff going on. And I, let me tell you something, brothers and sisters. The pulpit is not immune to arrogance. Paul is saying to the Corinthians, you know what? You have missed the whole point. You're not speaking. You're, what you're doing is not speaking to men. You're speaking to a God, some mystery. And, and you end up with the have-nots and the haves in the body of Christ. Look what you see. What we've seen in, the, in this letter to this church. I mean, they had potlucks and the rich people would come with all the really good food during the early part of the day so they could eat it. And when the poor people who had to work got off, they got the crumbs. They didn't love one another. They were taking each other to court and suing one another. They were running around saying, if you're married, you're not as spiritual as if you're single. And the singles were saying, if you're not single, you're married. And they, I mean, it was, a, it was a mess. And so even when it came to the spiritual gifts, they were running around with the have and have nots. Every Christian is full of the Holy Spirit. You do not lack... Holy Spirit, you don't go and get a half a tank of Holy Spirit, you know, or top off the tank. You have as much Holy Spirit right now as you're ever going to get. Now you may not listen to Him. That's between you and Him. You are as gifted now as the Holy Spirit wants you to be gifted. All right. What I have found about spiritual gifts is the more I use it, the more it grows. Okay. If I don't use it, you just sit there. Listen, tongues do not minister to the whole. Go back to our text there in um, 13, 14. He says, no one understands, but his spirit speaks mysteries. See, that is that mystery religion, the ecstasy that Plato talks about. It was all over the place. And he said, so I think Paul says here, the one who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to a God. No one understands. And only his spirit speaks the mysteries. And you know what's amazing about these people? When I run into them, I ask them, what did you say or what did you pray? And you know what they say? I don't know. It was a mystery. Well, what the heck good is it? Well, I don't understand that. Well, but look how spiritual I am. I got prayer language. I can speak mysteries. I don't even know what the mysteries are. See, tongues don't minister to the whole. They have no edification principle. They're not used for edification. Verse 3. The one who prophesies speaks to men for what? Exhortation and consolation. You know, that's amazing to me right there because I don't understand how you get into quote-unquote biblical counseling with that verse. I don't understand it because it says if I preach the word, stand before and preach the word, I am going to strengthen you. I am going to direct you in the way of good behavior and I can make you feel better any circumstance. And biblical counseling does what? I'm thinking it can't beat that. I mean, all I'm going to do is strengthen you. All I'm going to do is show you a corrected behavior. And all I'm going to do is comfort you regardless of your trial or tribulation. I'm thinking that's a pretty good package deal right there. Okay. When you speak to men with a spiritual gift of prophecy, do you understand that three things happen? And they will not happen with the gift of tongues. You speak the word of God, you're gonna build them up. The person will become stronger. The person will be encouraged to a new kind of behavior, a new lifestyle that will shine forth in a dark and dying land. And they will be comforted regardless of the suffering, the hurt, the pain, or the agony that they're in. Other than that, it doesn't do nothing. Wow. And you did that what? Speaking forth the word. What part? You got 66 books. Pick one. uh, Do you see what Paul's getting at? He said, it's not for the whole. Paul says, this is what I want you to do. I want you to prophesy. I want you to stand before and proclaim the word of God. Listen, sometimes it's revelatory. I don't believe so since the canonization of Scripture, but I believe that it was at one point. But now, what is it now? I just repeat the canonization of Scripture. What part? Well, start in Genesis and cruise through. Okay, you can leave out the maps. All right? When you come together, I want to you to hear the word of God proclaimed. Not bata, 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 bata. And I see so many today who want everything but the word proclaimed. I don't understand that. Not when I look at it and say that the one who prophesies speaks to men for their edification, for exhortation, and for consolation. I, I don't, I don't, that's, that's mind-boggling to me. That is absolutely mind-boggling to me. Why would I want to do anything else? Well, here's the reason. Man's ego stands up, and he wants attention. Look how spiritual I am. I have a prayer language. So do I. Mine's American. <laughs> What's yours? Well, it's true. I remember going to a it was, a, it was a Catholic church, I think, and they were saying prayers in Latin. And, and the, the lady I was with was reciting all the prayers in Latin just going right along she'd gone through all the whatever you go through to learn how to speak Latin prayers <clears throat> she goes through it. so you know me what'd you say I don't know you don't know what you said hmm but they taught it. I said was it Latin uh-huh. did you take Latin hmm. but they just memorized the book but you don't know what it says? Huh? Well, that's interesting. I mean, you may call Jesus a goat and you don't even know it. And I'm thinking, he, he, you know, but I see people get into this and they just get into this over and over and over and look, this is how I can do it. You know what? One of the things you'll learn from the study of Scripture, a cursory study of the Scripture, you don't bring anything to the deal. I mean, there's a part of me still says, well, why are we doing that? Why did you save any of us? And yet I want us to understand this because in love, pursue that. And because you're pursuing love, if you pursue love, what's your primary emphasis? Everybody else. And you don't even have to teach on edification. That Paul's slick, ain't he? He should have been like an author or something. Okay? I I look at that kind of stuff, and I say, this isn't difficult. And again, it goes back to it. Nowhere does he say pray in a language. You cannot find that in the Bible. Okay? I do believe in the gift of tongues. Absolutely. Absolutely. Why? Paul said he had it. i seen it exercised in Acts 2. But I believe that the gift is languages. And I don't have that gift. Or I wouldn't need interpreters when I go to Russia. And yet, the key to the whole thing, I think, is summed up in verse 5 of chapter 13. Love does not seek its own. And what I see today in the experiential church and in so many places is people seeking their own. And that's why you see the church looks the way that she does, crippled. So understand, it's not for the whole. If it has no edification benefit to it, then leave it alone alone. And it's a counterfeit. It's a counterfeit. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word, the amazing things that you do on a regular basis. Father, open our eyes to this. This seems so simple. but Lord, I I know I've spent way too much time here. And yet, Lord, I pray that my brothers and sisters see it. Father, you have instructed us not to be ignorant of spiritual gifts. Father they are a divine enabling for the edification of the saints, for the work of ministry so that your church will be the glorious manifestation of Jesus Christ to people today. And yet Father, you have the ability to one gift of standing before and speaking. Father, you have the ability to strengthen. You have the ability to encourage. You have the ability to comfort in every situation. Father, help us to see that. Help us to see the simplicity of what you have called each and every one of us to the exercising of your gifts for your work, to your glory. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for drawing us this day. Father, may we rest in full assurance that you are building your church. And even the abode of the dead will not stop it. And I praise you for that. Thank you for allowing us to be a part of it. Thank you for your provisions, your mercies, and your grace that are new every day. In Christ's name, amen.